0: And surely I am with you always, to the very end of the age. God wants to reach all nations with the gospel. Jesus has timelessly commissioned his church to go and make disciples. Make disciples. you so much. Will you join me? Let's welcome all those in Kingsgate, Cambridge, in Leicester, all those joining us online. Well, I don't know about you. I am super excited that spring is on the way. And all the optimists said, yay. And all the pessimists said, yeah, but wait for the beast from the east. Uh, but i don 't know about you i 'm so looking forward to warm weather well we 're coming to the end of February, and this then is the last of our vision series two thousand and twenty three looking at this wonderful theme, challenging theme that Jesus is calling us to be radical disciples and i 'm going to look at the, this fourth and final characteristic of radical disciples it comes right from the great commission and it 's radical disciples courageously go with Jesus. Why don't we say that together? Radical disciples courageously go with Jesus. And as we go, we can then make a difference in the world around us. It comes right from the heart of the Great Commission where Jesus commands all his followers everywhere. He says, go and make disciples of all nations. It's important we don't kind of miss this bit out. Isn't it great to encounter Jesus? to obey Jesus, to serve Jesus, but if we're going to be radical disciples, we also have to go and make a difference and see others become disciples. What about you? I am so passionate about this because I can remember the time nearly 40 years ago when I wasn't a Christian. Think back if you are a Christian here today. And I am so grateful, I'll be eternally grateful for the fact that When I went up to university, there was a bunch of radical disciples in the Christian Union who prayed for me faithfully by name. They befriended me. (laughs) They invited me along to their local church, which was a word-based, spirit-filled church. And in that local church, which I'm also very grateful for that church, I encountered Jesus for the very first time. I'm also very grateful that eight months later, one member of that church literally led me me in a prayer where I received Jesus. I experienced the presence of God. My life then and forever has been changed because a bunch of (laughs) radical disciples weren't content just to as it were, sit on their own salvation, they were concerned about me and many others. And so it's part of us going on a, a rescue mission. And you may be here today and um, you're not yet a Christian or you're watching one of our campuses or online, but most likely someone somewhere lovingly brought you or invited you. For those of us who are Christians, can you remember back maybe to the time of your conversion and think about some of the people, either directly or indirectly, who influenced you. Aren't you grateful to them? Well, this is what this is about. It's about us going out then and doing what's been done to us. Uh, Paul puts it this way, Christ changed us from enemies into his friends and gave us the task of making others his friends also. So I want to take this whole theme uh, by looking at the phrase that we're called to go on an all-out rescue mission. And I want to illustrate from a couple of film clips. And um, the first I want to focus on is from Titanic. It's the Hollywood version, uh, uh, the glamorized version, no doubt, of the um, sinking of the great ship, it was supposed to be unsinkable. It was on its maiden voyage in 1912, and it sunk with huge loss of life as people uh, perished in the icy waters. And there's a number of memorable clips. For those of you who watch the film, you know may remember um, Rose, played by Kate Winslet. Jack, Jack, Jack. Good, good impersonation. You want to watch it? Jack, Jack, Jack. a bit higher pitch, Um, as he's he's suddenly realised he's died in the icy waters. But the, the, the clip that always struck me when I watched it, and ever since then, is the attitude and the activity of a certain one of the one of the crew who captains a lifeboat and whereas others are more concerned we just got to get to safety you know our lifeboats are full he has a sort of an urgent um, desire to go and rescue people and see if anyone's alive and so I'm just going to play a really short uh, clip just to give you something of, of what I'm talking about those online um, there'll be a summary there so please watch this I remember that phrase is anyone alive out there and something of the sense of the urgency in his voice. Now what is that guy motivated by? He's motivated by a compassion for fellow human beings. And, and that's, that's kind of something that I believe we all should carry. But I believe there's a deeper thing. I love uh, that clip. And in some ways, I think the film is a great metaphor for much of what's going on our world today. You see, just like um, the passengers had great confidence in the supposedly unsinkable ship, So I think if we look at our world today, people are putting their faith in a world system, in um, false security, maybe even in themselves, hoping it's going to hold them up. But I want to tell you, whether people are aware of it or not, or whether we're aware of it or not, uh, that ship is sinking. And although we may, you may look at yourself or you may look at people around you and think, well, they seem okay. Can I say, outwardly, we may be alive, but if we're not in Christ, spiritually, we are perishing, we are dying, we are dead, both now and for eternity. And I say that because I think this is a message to us as a church. We need to be reminded that lost really means lost, both now and eternally. That's the bad news. How many want some good news? The good news is our loving God, who's way more loving than us, or that lifeboat captain, had a rescue plan and it involved giving the best thing he had, which is his son. Most famous verse probably in the Bible is John three sixteen. Uh, you probably know it. It says, for God, what? So loved. Why did he do it? Because he so loved the world that he'd made that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, shall not stay dead spiritually, shall not be lost forever, but will have eternal life. Notice there, it doesn't matter what we look like on the outside, there's two outcomes. There's perishing or there's eternal life. And if you're a Christian here today, how you glad that Jesus came and he sent his Son and he rescued you and he saved you? This is the message. But then he says, That's his first plan. His second plan, back to the Great Commission, is he calls a bunch of people that have already been rescued and he says, now, I have all authority in heaven on earth. My presence is going with you. Will you join me now on that rescue mission? And for us to do that, sometimes, how many know sometimes it's comfortable to to stay in the safety of the shore, but we are called to go out courageously and boldly to those who are lost or are perishing in, as it were, the icy waters of sin. And what's our motivation? Well, same motivation that God has. Uh, I don't know about you, but I'm praying. and I'm praying through this service that um, God's going to light a fresh fire in us so that we can say, like the Apostle Paul, for Christ's love compels us. How many could do with a fresh dose of the love of God to do something on the inside of you to realise that God wants none to perish. And as we think about people that we know and people all around us that we meet every day, my prayer is God will give us fresh love, compassion and insight as we go. Now this is a calling on all of us. This is not just a calling for super bold, sort of apostolic evangelistic types like Paul. But the good news is we're not all called to be like the Apostle Paul, you know, shipwreck, danger, going all around the world, you know, kind of a kamikaze missionary. Aren't you glad about that? Something like, Phew, just breathe a sigh of relief. Because the reality is, there is a place for evangelistic apostolic ministry, but the most of God's people are not called to be evangelists, but we are all called to be witnesses. So I love the way that the Apostle Paul um, instructs the believers in Colossae. Um, this is. His instruction, he's just basically said to them, pray for me, for big doors to be open to the gospel. But then he says to ordinary Christians, be wise, do you think you can do that? Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. First part of missional strategy. Be a blessing, be nice, be kind, be integrous. Think you can do that? Be someone who represents Jesus well. In your workplace, be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Second part, let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Sound achievable? He says, We're putting it down on the bottom shelf for all of us. This is something we can do. He's not talking here about um, bold out there aggressive evangelism. And there's a place for all types of evangelism. He's actually saying, and, and if you look at the history of the early church, the most effective way that the church grew in the early church was ordinary believers just went around living for Jesus, living differently. And then when people asked them what, what, what's different, they shared their faith and the multitudes came to Christ. And the church decade on decade exploded with growth. And so let, let me just talk about these two things. Firstly, the first key to um, To to going is simply just live a life of witness. You see, sometimes before we say anything, we need to go ahead with wise and winsome lives that opens the door so that people might want to listen to us. I mean, how many know no one wants to listen to an obnoxious, contentious Christian? We have none here, I know, in Jesus' name. Do you agree? I can think of one person many years ago who. Um, came to a, a guest service here, ended up going on Alpha, for getting saved. And the number one thing was because the Christian friend didn't gossip like everyone else. That was the bridge. Heard a story just last week of uh, somebody who invited a friend, they'd obviously built a good bridge with this friend, and invited them to the Christmas service and got an immediate positive Yes. I said, oh, yeah, basically, I'd love to come. And so, so why is that? Well, many years ago, I was at work and I got mentored by somebody who went to that same church, Kingsgate. And that person was the most integrous, kindest team leader around. And so I thought, yeah, I'll come to that church to find out, to to meet more people like that. So, this is long term stuff. Can I say, you know, Karen and I have been in this one city for nearly 35 years. There's something about going the long haul relationally that builds a base with our family, our friends, our work colleagues, and our neighbours. How many think you can do that? Learn to be integrous. Learn to be honest. Don't gossip. Don't fight on social media like other people seem (laughs) to like to do. Be patient under pressure. The way you handle bereavement and difficulties. Actually, the world is watching. Let's be those who stand out and make a difference by our lives of witness. Amen. This is long haul stuff. But we don't stay there. Because the second half of the verse goes on to say, on that foundation of a life of witness, we need to share words of witness. It says we need to be ready to make the most of every opportunity. Some people, I'll do that bit. I'll live the life, but I'll stay quiet. But Paul doesn't say stay quiet. He says, be ready. (laughs) So that you may know how to answer everyone. Or as Peter puts in his epistle, always, say always, Always be prepared, be ready, to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do it with gentleness and respect. Now, there are many different types of evangelism, but I honestly believe in the long run The way that um, the gospel has spread historically and will spread in our day, the way that we will see revival fires spreading is by on-fire Christians who in love for Jesus, love their city, love their community, love their friends around them, and then are just ready in in a wise, gentle, and winsome way to share the hope that they have. And this way, one shares with one, one shares with one, and a little candle, as it were, spreads and spreads and spreads until you've got like a raging fire going right across community. Come on, let's see that in our day (laughs) through us sharing uh, words of witness. Now, I don't know about you, how many of you would like to grow in confidence, in skill and doing the sharing bit? Well, good news, yes, so would I. Well, good news is starting in a couple of weeks' time, we can do a four-part series leading up to Easter, basically called sharing the good news. And we're gonna provide encouragement and confidence and skill so that we can make the most of Every opportunity. I'm not talking of Easter. I'm so looking forward to the Easter season. It's one of those times in the year. I know in our, all our different campuses where we're going to be going out and blessing our communities with all kinds of blessing activities in the hope that they will want to come and hear the gospel at Easter and pray that many, many people come to Christ in Jesus' name. And as we go, we have an incredible privilege Uh, Paul puts it this way in Romans 10, verse 15. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Now, don't take your shoes off right now, but God says something about your feet. That our feet, where we go, we are not just going to work or going to our family or going to our neighbours. We are carriers of the best news out in word and deed. And God wants to anoint us and empower us to go and tell the world all around us and see many more rescued in Jesus' name. So that's the first thing. We're called to courageously go on an all-out rescue mission. But there's a second way that we can get involved in this mission. So I want to pay another clip. This one's from Schindler's List. It's a very powerful film of a German businessman during the time of Nazi rule who basically used his business at it's worth saying, huge risk to himself and cost to himself to rescue hundreds and hundreds of Jews from the Holocaust. I want to play a clip from near the end of the film where all those he's rescued gather together to thank him. Uh, really moving clip. Wow, to a degree, powerful stuff. What I love about this is the value that Schindler puts on people above Possessions. That's the heart of it. The fact that he thinks he should have done more highlights that he's just not content with what he's done. But he realizes something of the value of one human life. I love the little quote at the beginning. Whoever saves one life saves the world entire. And I think it's a very moving thing where the Jews there are just gathered. 1,100 people have been rescued because he was doing what? He was doing the second thing I believe we we can all do in our spiritual rescue mission, which is we can invest in this all-out mission. Yes, we're called to go directly and get involved in people's lives. We're also called to invest in this all-out mission. And this goes right to the heart of Jesus' teaching. If we wanna be radical disciples, we have to face the fact that much of Jesus' teaching to his disciples was about making sure that money is not our God, that God and his mission and care for the poor is above um, our love of money and possessions. Just check the Gospels out. Uh, In one um, parable, he tells the parable of the shrewd manager. He makes this stunning statement. He says, I tell you, use worldly wealth to make friends for yourselves, so when it is gone, they will welcome you into eternal dwellings. Randy Alcorn, or Alcorn in his book, Money, Possessions and Eternity, comments on this. Jesus doesn't tell us to stay away from worldly wealth, but to use it strategically. Money can be a tool of Christ, but it must be used now before our period of service on earth ends. There'll be no second chance to use the money for Christ later. Jesus tells us that after we die, when our present assets of money, possessions, time and life are gone, we may be welcomed by friends into eternal dwellings. Who are those friends? Those people whose lives have been eternally transformed because what you and I have done, investing of our lives, our time, our talent and our treasure. I don't know about you, but I am so grateful for, for that local church back nearly um, 40 years ago, who'd built a house that meant that I could encounter the presence of God. I'm going to take time to personally thank them when I go to heaven. I'm going to thank those people who did what they did so that my life could be rescued for all eternity. And what a great thought we've got. Money's not just something um, just for us. And it's not just we kind of give to an organisation. No, we're investing for eternity uh, so that lives may be transformed. You know, this is thrilling. This is not, oh no, we've got to do this. We get to do this. What fun, what joy. Every time you give into the storehouse of this local church, can I say, every child that gets discipled, every young people that get person that gets saved, every student that gets rescued, every family that gets help, every grand adult who gets brought back from the prospect of a lost eternity, if we are giving into this local church, it, we, we share in the, the ministry together and we are blessed by the rewards now and eternally. We're gonna get rewarded for it. You know, every time you give into this church, a portion goes into our mission fund. You may or may not be involved directly in our Community Action Ministries. It's a good thing to do. I met some of our wonderful volunteers this week. But all of us are involved in caring for the the poor locally because of what um, we are doing together. You know, our ministry wider into some of our um, overseas missions partners or what we're doing through this local church to help some of the leading churches across the UK and Europe. Many of you have no direct involvement in that. You don't, some of you don't even know what we're doing. But I want to tell you, if you're giving into this church, we are together partnering for eternity to see other churches and other ministries prosper. And at the end of the day, we are helping for our friends to be saved eternally. Amen. Let's see, what, a, what a privilege. What, what an amazing thing we can do with the resources God has given us. You know, we may not be physically going. In fact, most of us are not going to be going to Romania with Joanna. Some maybe, some of you can go, <laughs> but we're not all going to be going. <laughs> but we, are, we can, all as it were, through our money, so ahead. And so every life that gets transformed through that church, we're part of it through our investment and through our giving, amen. Isn't this exciting? And the question is, and some of you may be asking this, you know, what does it look like then for us to position ourselves to invest? You know, looking ahead to Giving Day next Sunday, it's an opportunity for us, I believe, every time uh, we, we come to a Giving Day. It's a great opportunity just to reassess money or possessions. What, what, what comes first in our life? Who's actually Lord of our life? Is it God? The God of our Lord Jesus Christ, or is it the God of mammon? Who, who's, who's in charge? Is it an opportunity, even this week, if you haven't already done so, to, as it were, re-surrender all that you have to the Lord and say, thank you, Lord, it all comes from you. Yeah. Now, if, like Shinley, you're, you're, you're saying, well, I, I don't know, how much should someone give? Well, there's two helps. The first help is we've got the Word of God. We have all the way through the Bible, all kinds of teaching on giving and um, Simon and I did some teaching back in, I think it was November time, if you want to check back on the web and you know, just establish clear principles. The first principle is everything comes from God and so we steward the lot. And then there's the, what we call the tithe, the first 10% as an act of worship to the Lord. But if we're going to be radical disciples of Jesus, we're not going to stop there because all the way through the gospels, Jesus is challenging people to live lives of radical disciples generosity. Amen. The tithe is the starting point, not the end point for our generosity. If you look at the early church, they live radically generous lives. So let the Word of God be your guide. But secondly, let the Holy Spirit be your guide. Because the Bible gives the general principles but only the Holy Spirit can actually, as it were, he knows exactly where you're at. He knows whether you're right now in, under huge pressure and you've got very little or whether actually you've got quite a lot. And, 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 and the issue of giving is not how much you give, but it's in proportion to what you have. God's not gonna pressure anybody, but the Holy Spirit knows and he's in charge. And if it all came from him and he calls you to step out, guess what? He's gonna take care of you. So I believe it's really important that we listen to the Holy Spirit. Every, every year at this kind of time, Karen and I, we, we, we do a number of things. Firstly, thing, I check out any changes to make sure that our tithe is in line. We gross tithe, and so we make sure we're in line with that. We very often will pray about, you know, what extra do you want us to give to individuals in need? And that's fun, just looking out for people that we can bless. And then at this time, we always go back and we look at the monthly giving we give um, and have been for, I don't know, 16, 17 years or more, along with, I know, a core of people here of giving extra into paying off the mortgage. By the way, the mortgage, I've just been told, is now under one million pounds. Come on, we're on the way. But then also, we asked the Lord, you know, and it, depend, it depends on sometimes where we're at in our finance any given year, um, you know, how much we should give as a one off gift. And we'd prayed about that and agreed that about um, three weeks ago. And so we were pl- praying on Friday night again, and um, suddenly Karen interrupted our prayers and say, Wouldn't it be fun if we. <laughs> and she mentioned an amount that was double what we'd thought of giving before. And, you know, and rather than react, because I'm a man of God. <laughs> I didn't say, hold on, we agree. No, I thought, let me just carry on praying for a moment. (laughs) Let me just decide whether it would be fun or not. (laughs) You can tell who's got the gift of giving in our, but we both love to give. Anyway, after about five minutes of praying, I thought, do you know, it really would be fun if we could give that amount, why not? And honestly, just that thought again, people are more important than possessions. We can do it, so let's do it. And as we've been doing that kind of giving over You know the whole married life and pre-dating. I can honestly say, much as we've tried, we cannot outgive God. And I know that I'm talking both here and in Cambridge, in Leicester. Some of you beginning to partner online. That we've got hundreds and hundreds of amazing people who. Some very recent, you've just joined, some for decades have said, we wanna to partner together. We wanna to invest in this all out mission. But guess what? As we step up, as we declare, we're gonna, we're gonna um, as soon as possible, get debt free. Think what money can be released for more ministry and more projects and more people's lives change for eternity, amen? And all we're saying is just, just look at the Word of God, obey the Holy Spirit, and let's come and let's give joyfully. God loves a cheerful giver. Now, wherever we're gathered, now we're going to respond. And as we do, uh, we're going to be singing a song. It's quite an old song called For the Sake of the World. But I think it encapsulates something of what I believe the Lord wants to do as we finish this Radical Disciples series. Really, the heart of the song is an invitation, and you'll see it, is for the Lord to burn like a fire. How many of would like to ask the Lord to burn like a fire in your life so that you might come afresh, as it were, on fire to be bold in going, you know, anoint your feet. How beautiful are the feet of those who, good news, uh, those who bring good news in your life and in your words. Let's pray, bring fire, as it were, on our feet. And then it's an opportunity for us to, as it were, take the work of our hands, all our resources, and say, Lord, do something afresh, Lord. I wanna make sure that you are Lord of my finances. I wanna reorder and reprioritize. And for all of us, we're at different points of the journey. Some of us have been on, of going for it for years, and this is a rededication. Some of you maybe have drifted away. This is an opportunity for you to recommit. And some of you, either here or watching online or one of our campuses, you may not yet be a Christian. Well, this is an opportunity for us all to re-surrender our lives to the Lord. And I just want to invite you all to stand and um, I just want to read the first part of this song because I, I don't just want us to sing it, I want us to make this our prayer. So it goes like this. I'm laying down my life. I'm giving up control. I'm never looking back. I surrender all. So why don't you right now just position yourself. This is a prayer for radical disciples. Never looked, I'm laying down my life. I'm giving up control. I'm never looking back. I surrender all. Whether that surrender is about your life and your witness, whether it's the surrender, about your resources, our whole lives, we're coming to Jesus and we're inviting him to empower us to go with and for him for the sake of the world. So let's sing this together and then I'm gonna come and lead us in a time of prayer.